G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today we've got another exciting Q&A episode going into questions getting asked on the Perth Property Investment Facebook group. If you're not already a member, head on over, search on Facebook Perth Property Investment, find us, add the group and get involved. We love getting uh, questions on there and opinions from everyone, helping each other out with investing in Perth. So. Today, I'm going to go through some of those questions, uh, particularly the ones that I think can add value to all the listeners. And it's just my opinion. So take it with a grain of salt, but at least it gives you some insight into how I think and trying to bring all my experience to helping someone in a similar position. So always go and get specific professional advice from accountants, financial planners, real estate agents, property managers, etc. And feel free to get in touch for us on the property side and I'm sure we can get real specific and help. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. Now, for our first question, hello all. I'm new to this group and I've not seen much about property flipping. Is it a profitable strategy? Buying, renovating and then selling budget for property up to 500k roughly. Now, I started out renovating and selling properties when I was in my early 20s. I did that on three or four properties in a row and it's certainly possible at any time whether it be a hot market cool market down market but at different points there's going to be pros and cons so in this hot market it can be harder to get your margin because buyers often you know outbidding each other and paying a lot more for properties than they may uh, have recently sold for so when you're looking at the renovated selling prices and working back and building in your renovation budget and your profit margin and your holding costs and allowing for all your purchase costs and your selling costs, everything that would go in and really in order to put effort into something, you really want to make at least a 10% margin on total costs. Otherwise, what's the point? You may as well stick to a more passive buy and hold approach, the market's probably going to give you at least 10 to 15% without you doing anything. So, and, and the other thing is you, you don't really want to factor in the growth in that calculation because otherwise it's not you doing it through your renovation. It's just the market actually doing it and you really put the effort in for nothing. So it is more possible, very hard at the 500,000 price point though, because Properties are a lot more cookie cutter-ish. They're the, the sort of same. The ceiling on prices won't be as high. So you may find that, you know, renovated properties are selling for 600, the low 600s. By the time you work that back with the cost of trades and everything, you've got to be very accurate with what you're factoring in because um, we all know that they've all gone up. So where the sweetest spot is for renovating and making a decent profit margin is on the more you know, character and unique properties that are in that higher price points, probably wanting to at least be looking in the one to one and a half mil type properties. And there's going to be a much higher ceiling and people are going to be much more prepared to pay the extra 
so they don't have to do the work. And that's where it can work really well. Now, of course, when I was starting out, it wasn't so, it, it, it was a hot market at the time. It was about buying the property really well. So in those kind of cases, I did a, a lot of the purchases were made off market. I did fly drops to suburbs. I found people that needed to sell quickly. I was cashed up and had my finance ready to go. And I settled for them really quickly and gave them what they needed to move on. In those cases, at point of purchase, the valuations were much higher than what I was purchasing for. So arguably, buying it well actually built in a lot of that 10% profit, renovating it and making it more appealing, opened and made the the buyer market for it much wider and people in a hot market are also prepared to pay more for solutions and get more emotional about it. So that's how it can potentially work if you're able to buy very well now, but be much harder, easier to buy well in a downward market. And of course, in a downward market, the challenge is that the renovated price that you're counting on by the time you get there, it can be very hard to get that price. And, you know, you might have factored in selling for early 600s. By the time you get there, it might be now worth 550. So your feet could have been taken, cut out from underneath you. And you could have done all that work for nothing, but not not entirely for nothing. If you hadn't renovated it, it would have potentially dropped by some more. Now, I don't think we're going to get to those times again for a long time. What can be a better time to look at it renovating is when the market's at least stable. So you can count on your end selling prices, but it's easier to buy well and there's more properties for sale to choose from and it's not as competitive on the front end. And that middle sort of market where it's just trending sideways can be a really great option for renovating more so than the other two, but still possible in each. And the price point is going to greatly dictate what sort of margins that you can get as well. Hope that helps. Next question. Hi, I need some tax advice and the best way to go about reducing tax. A property is quite highly positively geared. Between my property and other incomes next financial year, I'll pay around 35000 in tax. Is there something I can buy or something I can do to reduce my tax using things that can be written off by tax or other investments I can make to negatively gear my income? PM me with some advice. Really love some advice. I'm new to the game. Now, I'm not for a second trying to come on here and give tax advice. I'm not an accountant. I'm more coming here and giving my opinion on strategy and the way that we think about investing. So if you're making a positive cash flow on properties, congratulations. I think that's a good thing. You know, at some point, we all want our positive cash flow from property to go towards replacing our overall incomes. And you have to think about where in the cycle in, in your transition to retirement or when at what point you want to replace that active income that you might have from your job or your business and replace it with more passive income. I don't think we should ever look at investing to try to save on tax. It really has you focusing in the wrong place. There's nothing wrong with making money. So your first focus always should be either investing for growth or investing for rental yield or investing at somewhere in the middle of that not investing to save on tax. You should never purposely go out and negatively gear 
as your primary focus. You should never go out and purposely find a highly depreciable new property to try to save on tax either. It should never be your primary focus in my opinion. Your focus should be either on growth or on rental yield or on a mix of the two and that's going to steer you in the right direction for making good long-term decisions to grow your wealth or replace your income with a more passive form and those should be your focus. Hope that helps. Next question. Hi, we recently bought a place in Queens Rock that was built in the early 90s. From what I've read, it would technically qualify for depreciation. I was wondering whether the return is worth the expense and effort. House is a pretty standard 4 by 2 mostly original features. So with the way that depreciation laws have changed, we can still claim it on the capital component being the actual house. And again, I'm no accountant or tax depreciation schedule expert. I'm just throwing my opinion in here. The easy way to know is contact the depreciation mobs. Depro is one of them that I personally use. They will not only tell you whether it's worth you getting a tax depreciation, but schedule, but they, I think they also guarantee that if you're not going to get twice back in the first year in your tax of what the cost is, then they probably will tell you it's not worth doing. And that's probably what you want to be doing as an investor too. You want to be saving more than the cost of the depreciation schedule itself. So the way that it works is that with the building component, I believe it can breach be depreciated over 40 years so if it's a 19 early 90s built house you're probably 30 years in you might only have another 10 years that you can depreciate we're not able to from what i understand claim fixtures and fittings unless we have made those improve like made those uh added those things ourselves so previously you could claim though any newer ones and usually if if fixtures and fittings are less than then 10 years, it would have been worthwhile. If they were less than five years, it would definitely be worthwhile. But if everything's mostly original from the 90s, there's really not going to be any fixtures and fittings. It's only going to be the building component that may be worthwhile. So again, consult the experts, chat to them, see if it's worthwhile. Um, someone like Depro will tell you, and that's the best way to go. Next question. Looking at purchasing my first investment property, a lot of the properties advertised state prices being from or offers over for example 430 is there a general percent houses generally sell over the price and where do you start negotiating when prices offers over 430 is it worth using a buyer's agent for a purchase when my max is 450 thank you this really does show in the question the overall sort of lack of understanding for intrinsic value and i'm trying to say that without being insulting i'm trying to help here so take it with take my opinion here kindly please what you should always look through to is what is the property actually worth and have a clear price in mind that the maximum you should go up to before you go entering the negotiation I recorded an episode a few episodes back on property valuation 101 so i think that one would really help you look at the nine keys for evaluating a price, come up with that price, and that may be less than the asking price. It may be the same or it may be more. You should use that price that you come up with as informing the max price that you're going to pay for the property. It's not going to be a percentage or an amount relative to the asking price because the asking price could be set 
over and above what it's worth, or it could be priced really attractively and be priced less than what it, the market might think it's worth. What determines worth ultimately is what someone's prepared to pay for it. So it also be going off of feedback from the agent as to how much other interest they've got, speak with other local agents in the area to find out what other properties have gone under offer for. And, you know, we also have our property price reviews that we can do where I not only just look at the price, I look at how saleable and rentable it is and give you feedback in line with our trifecta criteria on how does the location, the area and the property all stack up to determine you know, whether it's going to make a good investment. Now, look, this kind of price point is getting very hard and it's a valid question to ask that when your budget's limited, should you be putting some of that deposit budget towards a buyer's agent? And probably when you're starting out and you're you know, still asking and, and pondering some of these basics, it may be worth still using a buyer's agent, I think, and, you know, avoiding mistakes and still making the best purchase you can with their guidance. We've started offering a buyer's agent service, so do get in touch and happy to look at how we can help. Next question. I just bought a 2014 built 5 by 2 on a beautiful street in Manning, North Manning Road, and it's on 880 square meters. The house, pool, etc., takes up most of the block. As just my principal place of residence, would this be considered a good or even great investment? Thanks. Now, very often, a principal place of residence is the most amount we're ever going to spend on a single property. So, in my view, why should we not also be making this our greatest investment? And that's how I've approached the buying of our principal place of residence each time. And whether it makes a good investment or not, well, that really comes down, I think, to holding it up to our trifecta criteria. How does the location measured up? How is Manning done in, in the history? Top of my head, Manning's been a little bit of a sleeper and not as popular as some of the surrounding suburbs. But even then, you need to look deeper. Which school catchments does it fall in, uh, into in that area? Is there any homes west nearby? Yes, even premium suburbs can have homes west around them. So you don't really want them directly neighbouring and surrounding the property. What are the neighbours like? What's the streetscape like? You're then going to drill deeper down to look at how is this specific property performed over the whole time it's been built. It was built in 2014, so how's it gone over that time period? How's it gone compared to other houses over that time period? That's going to give you a real insight as to whether it's looking, it's stacking up as to be a good investment or whether you know it's not going to be as great so when you buy an older property it is easier to look back at greater period of time and have greater history to go by in guiding you but if you're buying into a good suburb good area good property and it surrounds if it's appealing as well you then need to at the property level be looking at how widely appealing is this property did it have does it have any major negatives that's going to hold it back from being desirable i'm guessing with it being a five by two it should be fairly generous does it have at least two living areas that are the bedrooms all a decent size you know how is the property laid out and is all of that you know fairly conventional and desirable the provided that you get this whole trifecta to line up for suburb area property you're more likely to do well and that's what we hold up when we have our take our search for buyers agency and when we vet individual properties for people and when we're reviewing someone's properties for our strategic plans we can give people insight 
into how this measures up and not just pulling it out of thin air. <laughs> so also the benefit of buying a higher price property typically, but not always, is that it's going to be more desirable because it's a higher price. And so you often just baked into the fact that you paid a lot more for it is going to mean that it should do better for growth because it's going to be tilting more towards the growth and not have as great a rental yield. And as you would have heard me talk about in previous episodes, price point has a big impact on how much growth you're likely to get as in terms of your overall return, more growth, less rental yield, and that's going to be more likely in the higher price points. Last question. What have we got here? I have a house with decent equity in it. It's our family home. We are looking to purchase our first investment property and want to know if buying it to use as an Airbnb is worth it compared to just leasing. Potentially looking outside of Perth to Dunsborough Margaret River. Has anyone done this? Is it currently doing this? Uh, any of us would be welcome. So, when looking at these out-of-earth metro areas, I've compared the capital growth rates on some of these places and in pretty much all cases, I'd be highly surprised if a property in Margaret River, Dunsborough, etc. has performed better than similar price properties in the Perth metro area. They're going to be more of a rental yield, more of a lifestyle holiday play than they are going to be a growth play. And if this is your first property, as I've mentioned in uh, my thinking in many other occasions, you really want to be leaning more towards growth, growing your asset base first, and then later down the track when you've built a portfolio and built a growth base, a capital base under you, then you can tilt it towards lifestyle factors such as owning your own little farm or place down in those areas that you might holiday to or, you know, have towards your retirement. Then, you know, if it's for that transition to retirement or because you want a place as a holiday destination, then you'd look at other ways to rent it out and how best to rent it out in the meantime. But I wouldn't do it as the primary focus for growing your asset base and I would be instead looking to do that with the advice of all the other episodes that we've recorded so far going into things. Buy the best overall sort of quality of house that you can if you can get up to a reasonable budget, let's say 550 to 750 or above, then I'd be sticking to the Perth metro area and I'd be focusing on the best quality of property I could afford. And that I think is going to serve you far better than buying something down south that you might get a slightly higher rental yield on. You might get that little warm buzz that you can tell people you have a property in Margaret River. You might even get to stay in it once a year between tenancies or twice a year between tenancies. But I'll tell you what's going to be more important, an extra million dollars in uh, 30 years time because a property in Perth's grown at, you know, one and a half, two percent average annual growth rate higher than a property down there. And uh, I think that's going to change your world a lot more than some extra rental income that you might receive over that t same time period that's going to be taxed. Now, if you did end up buying down there, is it worth looking at Airbnb versus traditional leasing? Well, it really comes down to can you find the right property manager to look after it Airbnb style? It can be very difficult, especially in the country areas, to have this managed tightly as tight as it needs to be. The person needs to be varying the 
room rates or the the rates of the house continuously. They need to manage the turnovers, which can be quite frequent. All that cleaning and extra maintenance needs to be coordinated. It can be a lot more intensive. There isn't that many managers down south that do it. So a lot of people end up managing it themselves. And it's ideal if you're already living down there, renting out a part of a property as a lot of them do. And that's great when you're on site and you can be hands-on, you can coordinate it and you can make it all work with your own management, but very difficult to do when you're from Perth. May end up being a nightmare to manage it out that way if you don't find the right manager. So hopefully you can rethink that and look to Perth Metro would be my advice. So that's the last of our questions today. Hope you've gotten some value out of this episode. If you have, be sure to give us a rating or review and share it with your friends. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group to be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. Thank you.